Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, um, my name is Lynn Ponton, and this is uh, uh, Jennifer Wong and Lynn Ponton again, talking about issues related to adolescent sexuality. And today we're going to be talking about a very exciting and a very current topic, which is the use of social media uh, with teens and with actually older age children. Um, this is a very controversial area. It's one that's growing. Uh, it's one that parents and adults often have less information about. And with this in mind, I'm going to turn this over to you, Jennifer, because you are much more current with these social media definitions and use, and maybe you can say a little bit about it and educate our adult uh, listeners about it. Sure, absolutely. Um, so as Lynn said, my name is Jennifer, and I think before we launch into anything, it's really important to talk about how social media is a tool. I think people are quick to jump and say social media is good, social media is bad, and it's really less about whether it's this black and white good or bad. It's really about how is it being used and how can we help people, parents, children, teens, figure out how to use it in a way where it is healthy risk-taking rather than dangerous risk. So I think one of the important things to address is that what I see with my cases is that Parents often don't understand how early a lot of the social media influence um, happens. And to really bring up that from what I see, it, the average is really around 12 years old, which means that these kids are in middle school. And I think it's very hard for parents to kind of accept like, wow, my middle schooler is going through this. So whether it's personal or whether it's a classmate, this is part of the world that they live in now. And so along those lines is that, I think Lynn already kind of mentioned this, but it's that in this arena, kids are really more of the experts than the parents. And I think that's kind of a hard role for people mm -hmm. to accept. And it's really key here that we listen to the kids and teens because they know more and it can really be a good bridge in helping them figure out this arena, which is fairly new. And navigating things like Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Tinder. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, if they're not on them, kids are talking about them. And so it's really important, I think, that we start these conversations. What you're bringing up, Jennifer, it's hard, I think, for adults and parents to take that role. They feel like they have to know everything. Yeah. And that we have to be, you know, the sexperts. We joke about adolescent boys being sexperts. But as adults, we feel that way. And I think with the, this type of media, we're really not as adults. And we have to learn from what the kids are facing out there and really partner with them and indicate that we're in a partnership with them about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you were saying, I, I'd be curious about your opinions about some of the individual uh, sites such as Instagram, Snapchat, which we're seeing a lot of with the kids we work with right now. Yeah, I mean, what is it that you're asking about in terms of these sites? Maybe just a, if you could say a little bit about them, how kids are using them, maybe what some of the dangers are with those sites. Sure. I mean, I think for the most part, it's this idea that, you know, 
as we've talked about before, teens need to have venues in which to take healthy risks. And yet, when we're talking about social media, it's such a larger platform. So where before maybe you take a picture and you send it to your friend, and I'm not even talking sexual pictures, just pictures, right? Now you post them up and you're sharing them with people you may not even know. And so the words that you're posting, they're going out and it's not really just, you know, your small group of friends. It's with this whole public arena. And I think teens have a hard time comprehending kind of how extensive that is and how it can get back to them in negative ways. For example, talking about, I had a client recently, she's around 17 years old. And what happened was, you know, she was feeling really cute that day. So she took a picture of herself and she posted it to Snapchat. And so what happened was one of the boys from her middle school saw this picture and saw it as an invitation to show up at her house uninvited. And then not only did he show up at the house, but when she went out to meet him and she told him, I think it was like that her address was down the block. So she was aware already of like, I don't want this guy to know where I live. What happened was she got into the car and immediately he was soliciting her to have a threesome with him and this other boy that was in the car. And as, you know, ridiculous as it may, might sound to some parents, these are real things that are happening. And while this exact situation may not be what's going on, the themes are very similar. How'd you handle it with this girl? Was she in with her parents when you were seeing her? Or? No, no, definitely. Yeah. She, particularly because she's older, I see that, you know, the parents kind of expect her and me to kind of work one-on-one to figure out some of these things. But certainly we talked about a lot of the themes that came up about, you know, whether or not that was a form of harassment, whether or not you know, what she should even do in that situation. And I know that she in particular felt kind of trapped because she didn't want to be seen as a prude, but she also didn't want to be in a threesome with these boys. And eventually she just kind of left. And that's something that I see. Well, I think you're bringing up a lot of issues that we're facing, you know, with the kids we work with. And risk assessment is so important because you mentioned this girl knew to give an address down the block, but she still went down the block right. met with the boys she, you know, interface with online. And then she gets in the car. Right. And all of those are steps in risk assessment that bring up big questions. But I think this is a, actually a fairly common event. Uh, just this week, I faced it with another patient where uh, online uh, inter- exchanges, cyberbullying, and a group of kids showed up at, at her house. She opened the door and they walked into her living room. Wow. So you already have this level of exchange occurring. So I think parents have to be aware of the negative part of this. And it's not all social media is bad. But as you say, it's really how our kids are using it. And we need to learn from them and be aware of it. Yeah. I think along those lines, too, something that jogged my memory there is the idea that, from what I see, one of the ways that social media has been being used is in a way that's really reinforcing these gender stereotypes, right? Where the boys are the ones sending the pictures, or I mean, sorry, the girls are the ones sending the pictures and the boys are the ones kind of passing them around. Is that what you're seeing? 
Yes, and I think you bring up uh, a really good point about uh, social media, that it reinforces things we see in the larger world with our kids. And we do see a fair amount of sexism where girls are objectified. And this is still going on, even though there are better times for girls in other areas with sports and other things. Yeah. But the sexism is reinforced in this area. And uh, a recent case that I saw uh, was a girl, sadly, who had uh, uh, been forced through boys in her class, you know, and this was social pressure, to send out a nude photo, or they were saying they were going to say bad sexual things about her. Yeah. And then this nude photo was posted on a site by one of the boys in her middle school, and it's important to talk about this as a middle school activity. Right. And uh, then it was seen and identified as a nude photo of this particular girl. And then other things proceeded. You know, they were going to show the photo in a wider venue, the boys. They used it as a kind of blackmail thing, and they obtained other sexual favors from this girl uh, to not do this. So these sexting sites, you know, are happening. They're ways for kids to share their sexuality, but there's kind of sexism going on in that context, and there's bullying really going on where kids are bullied and pushed to do things they don't want to do. And this girl's parents, they did come in with her and they did not know this was going on. And uh, the school was just beginning to uncover this activity. And so I think it's important, you know, there's several ways I think teens interface in this world. Schools have a role in this world, as do the parents. And these activities are occurring in school settings, and the photos are being distributed at school, and uh, it affects a lot of students. So that's something I'm very concerned about. Yeah, it's a concern that I share as well. And I think, as you said, to emphasize that this isn't, you know, people in college or people in high school even, that it really is happening in middle school. Mm-hmm. I think the the thing we know from our work over years is that teens want to be thought to be sexy. Yes. And they're really constructing and they're developing a sexual identity in middle school. It's the time when kids have their sexual fantasies. Masturbation is starting more for boys and mm-hmm. not as much for girls. And that's a whole area we can talk about separately. Right. But the girls and the boys are constructing their beginning sexual identities. So having the social media play such a large part in this affects the social, the sexual identity that our kids are really developing. And it's a big uh, concern and question, how is it impacting if they're seen as this girl was seen? Right. You know, um, let's call her Janice. Janice was seeing herself as a slut for having done this. Mm -hmm. She was sexualizing herself, saying her body didn't look as good as other girls' bodies online. And of course, those other girls' bodies were reworked. Right. uh, But her sexual identity was very much affected by this early experience. Absolutely. And I think what you bring up in that, too, is this idea of how social media plays into it, is that social media is very appearance-focused. And so... What I see happening is this idea of sexiness isn't really so much an internal thing anymore. It's very externalized. So it's become really hot is the new sexy. 
And hot is really about how attractive am I to boys and how am I appearance-wise being portrayed. And it doesn't take into account how do you feel Mm -hmm. and how do you feel about yourself. And girls are very limited in sort of these categories. As you were saying, she sees herself as a slut, you know, and so... How does that kind of play into how these patterns are being repeated? Yeah, it's a it's a place, I think, for parents to move in and partner with kids and provide information and a voice and ear to listen. Uh, because I think uh, a lot of uh, teen boys and girls have concerns they're not very sexy. And we know in our offices that they want to talk about this. They want to learn how they can feel more comfortable with this. And uh, it's very disturbing the role that the social media is playing in terms of setting up sites that regulate and determine sexiness for kids. Because I think you were, you know, getting to one of the points that's out there that the photos are, are regulated with likes and not likes. And then kids determine their sexual identity and their sexiness from these sites instead of the internal development. And uh, kids used to read about sexual matters privately, look at maybe films privately, talk with friends privately, and have more private exchanges really with other kids. And that was the way it developed. But now a large part of it is the online development of sexuality and sexual identity. And I think along those lines is to talk about kind of how it's changed those conversations. Because one thing that we've talked about before, but maybe not on this show, is that, you know, when kids are using social media, there's that barrier for them. And so a lot of them are more aggressive. They're more explicit. And these are things they would never say to somebody to their face. And so it creates almost these two worlds that somehow have to be meshed together. And what I see is that when kids are with each other on a face-to-face level, they don't know how to communicate in the same way. And they have a hard time standing up for themselves or even telling somebody that they like them or figuring out how to break up with somebody or, you know, navigating friendships even because the normal arenas in which you learn these skills – All of that is moving online for the most part. And so it's just leaving them kind of without the skills that they need to navigate a lot of these now more complex situations. I think you bring up a a number of good points there, Jennifer. I'm one, the civility, you know, of uh, online exchange. And it's an education, especially someone for someone like me you know, who grew up in a very different time before there was any online media. Television was just a new presence in my teen years. So Mm. you can imagine that it was a very different experience. But uh, the lack of civility and, uh, you know, I'll be sitting with a teen in my office, you know, she'll have received some text Uh, she or he and will look at it and the language that's used the profanity that's used in the texting and the quick language it's all out there and uh, I certainly learn a lot I've learned some new expressions that I can use shock my partner with all of this you know but um, it is important I think that parents be aware of this and other adults and that this be more shared and there be greater awareness of the lack of civility and then you bring up so many kids that we work with who don't have face-to-face 
exchanges around sexuality and they become scared and avoidant. And instead of the online world helping them to be better at it, it actually interferes with their skills to exchange and develop, you know, a sexual identity with other people. Yeah. You know, so that's a a big problem that we face today. That uh, girl I mentioned earlier, Janice, um, she was having a really hard time talking to boys because she imagined that they had all seen these nude photos of her online. Yeah. And she couldn't face boys. She wore dark sunglasses a lot of the time, and she was really having a lot of struggles. Trying to hide herself, essentially. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and though she had been so explicit in the photos, and I think that's what, you know, adults right. have to be aware of. Um, are you seeing problems with the kids you work with say, teen girls who've been affected this way, where you observe more cutting, more anxiety, more depression, that kind of thing. Absolutely. I'd say all of the above. I mean, I think what's happening is the online world is so explicit, and the kids are not having these conversations. They're not knowing how to navigate these things, and that leads them to have to figure out, or they believe they have to figure it out on their own, I guess is what Mm -hmm. I should stress, because they don't need to. What we're talking about is how do we clue parents in? How do we clue schools in? How do therapists help the teens that they're seeing? But the teens, the impression that I get is they feel very alone and they don't know what to do. And so that leads to a lot of depression. It leads to a lot of anxiety. It leads to a lot of the cutting. Yeah, I, I think it raises the question, uh, if you have a child who's cutting, or if you yourself are a teen and you're listening and you have friends who are cutting, yeah, this is uh, really an area where therapy and advice uh, from doctors and other psychologists can be really, really helpful. And uh, kids do better with that type of conversation. It is a place to talk. Parents can provide help and support around cutting and other behaviors, but often you need to bring in a third party who can assess it, take a look at it, and really help the young person who's struggling with it do it differently. I think along those lines, too, is that because sex is such a taboo arena, there's already sort of this heightened fear. And so what I see happening is that instead of being able to talk to your teen about, you know, what is going on with the cutting, you know, what is it that you feel is making you depressed? What is causing you all these all this anxiety. Instead, there's sort of this trying to control things by, you know, well, you know, it seems like social media is making you anxious. So let's just take that away. And there's a lack of the conversations. There's a lot of kind of punitive actions happening. Is that kind of what you're seeing as well? Well, I see that. And and with the cutting, it's a whole very interesting subject because I think social media may have expanded this area of of dangerous risk-taking or unhealthy risk-taking for kids. Because it's a a phenomena that's copycatted a lot. It's a risk-taking behavior that's imitated. And we now see kids that cut online, Mm -hmm. share their cutting online. There's cutting clubs and all kinds of behaviors that we're really seeing. So the online world, I think, is playing a much more active role in this area. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is an area, it's not necessarily sexual, but, you know, girls who feel unhappy about their sexual identity will often move on to cutting online, and you'll see sites 
Yeah. You know, where a girl starts out showing maybe scantily clad pictures, and then, you know, a couple of months later, she's actually demonstrating cutting online. So I think these are things parents need to be aware of. They're also hidden behaviors that uh, adults really don't know about. I think that's a big thing, too, is the idea that all of this is hidden. So it's very hard to help when you don't know what's going on. And so to stress, how is it that you figure out what's going on? How do you open up these conversations with your teen? And it raises the question, I'd be curious what you think about partnering with your teen and middle schooler around their online world. You know, uh, a lot of parents do no partnership. They don't ever look at what their teen is doing until it's very, very late. And right. the teen's in the office and the boy has been arrested because he was distributing pornographic photos. And then the parents are forced to look at what was going on. Right. And that's, of course, a high danger zone. But I think if the parents partnered early, I think a lot of kids would be grateful you know, for the help they're getting, though they would say, oh, they mom, dad, so. I hate this idea. <laughs> right. you know, it's, but they really want help with the bullying. They want help with this area of the photos that we're talking about. And I think they want somebody to talk to about it. Yeah, I think they are looking to figure out how do I navigate this? I mean, mm -hmm. it's such a different world out there. And one of the things that I noticed that is kind of affecting the way a lot of girls that I see are able to deal with these situations is that, you know, for example, we haven't even talked about it, but like the dick pics, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and how boys are sending these pictures of their dicks to these girls and the girls don't know what to do because, you know, if they react a certain way, then maybe they're shamed. If they react a different way, then they're slutty. Mm -hmm. And this idea that the harassment is almost seen as a joke. It's funny. If they can't take it well, then it's like, well, why can't you take this joke? And that it's really not a joke and that it's harassing. What do you think it is that's going on with, you know, the boys sending these pictures? Well, I, I ask a lot of them this because, you know, you have them in the office and you ask the questions around it. The boys, uh, there are different gender attitudes about sexuality. And when you have a culture that has a fair amount of sexism, meaning girls are defined as sexual objects, and we live in a culture that's sexually restrictive, though yes. paradoxically, it seems like it's very open. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in that sense, I think these boys do think, they, they believe that the girls should laugh this off, that this is funny, and the girls should share their perspective on these photographs. Mm -hmm. So they send it out. They think it's funny. They've got a large, the largest erection they've ever had, and they've just taken a photo of it. And they think you should say, oh, this is fantastically wonderful and sexy and funny. Mm -hmm. You know, so it should both be sexy and also funny. And then the girl is shocked and horrified, mm -hmm. you know, because the girl would rather have an invitation to maybe uh, go see a movie or at least have a romantic conversation, or have a discussion about something else, something more in the romantic zone, which is left out of a lot of this online stuff. So I think there's a big divide uh, between boys and girls. And I've joked with a lot of dads, and dads can understand why the dick pics are not 
funny. Right. You know, because they've been educated to some degree about this. Though not all dads. Though not all dads. (laughs) Yeah. But most dads, and they can provide, I think, guidance for their sons and really say there are other ways, you know, to get this girl to have a relationship with you. And you need to look at, you know, if your guy friends are saying you've got to go out and get a slutty picture in return, what are these friends really friends for? You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So I think it's also important to consider where is that mindset even coming from? You know, do you think that pornography plays into it in terms of kind of the boy, the way boys look at sex and sexuality? I think it's a very good question. Long, I'd say 30 years ago, uh, there was an aspect of, of feminism and many feminist researchers who believed that pornography was playing a large role in really setting up the sexism in the United States. And it's clear that it does affect it. If there's a lot of pornography, and we now know that the major users of pornographic material online are really uh, the boys we're talking about, the 12 to 17-year-old boys. So they're using it. And pornography has changed in the past, say, three decades and become much more explicit and uh, much more sexist. So you've got that interface there, and the boys are affected by that. But I also think uh, boys want to learn Um, They're curious about things. They want to get along with girls. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't want to be sexist. You know, they want to be power sharing. Right. You know, and they need to know what that is. Um, So I think girls can help with that. But if parents aren't talking about, uh, you know, power sharing and they aren't talking about sexism being part of the culture, it makes it very hard for boys to know that. Boys kind of say, what? When the girl says, "I'm you're sexist? And right. they say, oh, and then they're defensive they because get they've defensive. never heard it. Exactly. And so I think it's it's part of the job for parents to start talking about these things long before the kid is sending out a dick pic at 13. Right. You know? Exactly. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about, too, is this idea that what I've noticed is that it seems that this is how boys think girls want to be kind of approached. And I'm trying to the reason I'm pausing here is I'm trying to think about, you know, what exactly is the best way to say it. But I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, let's say the 12 year old boy, they're getting into masturbation and they're seeing, oh, okay, these very visual images and those turn me on. And so maybe if I send this dick picture to this girl, maybe she'll get turned on or maybe she'll send me a picture back. Yeah. What do you think about? I, I agree because uh, one of the things you see even with young teens is the differences in uh, between boys and girls and what causes sexual arousal. Yeah. And the visual images are very arousing for boys. This is partly, you know, explains the high use of pornography, that they're using these images to masturbate and it's part of their activity and get excited. Whereas for girls... Um, they're not aroused by dick pic pictures. Right. You know, they're, they see them in a very negative, almost degrading way. And it arouses, you know, in girls, the feeling of disgust. Yeah. And I'm going to push this guy out of my life and he must be a real weirdo and all of those things. So what might appeal to a girl would be the things we were talking about a few minutes ago, a sexual story 
or a poem or even where you wrote down some of your feelings and Mm -hmm. sent them to the girl and tried to interact and relate to her. And that's something you don't see a lot of in the online world currently. It really isn't there. Yeah, that in fact reminds me of, this was a while ago, but I had a client who, there was this boy who really liked her, and I guess they were dating, but he was sending her these very explicit things about how he wanted to have sex with her. I'm not being explicit here, but, you know, using explicit words and how he was doing this to her and using all these very explicit terms that he, one, didn't understand. She didn't really understand. But then the reason she came into my office was the parents found this. And I believe she was like 13 and they thought she was having sex and they freaked out. And she tried to tell them like, we're not having sex. And they had a very hard time believing it. And it just created a lot of tension instead of being able to sit down and have a conversation and say, well, you know, what do you think is going on here? Do you like him? You know, where do you think this is coming from? Instead, it just became, well, you can't talk to him. And then, you know, that's hard because she does like him. She doesn't like the fact that he's sending her these negative messages, but she also doesn't know how to use her voice to say, hey, I like you too, but please stop sending me these things. I don't like them. And what you're talking about is a lot of girls feel they have a hard time limiting the exchange that they get with boys around sexual matters. And this is a worldwide problem, Jennifer, I think. Yes. And really, if she could say, look, I don't like it, I don't understand it, and I worry that it's affecting our growing relationship. You know, those are the words, but parents could help with that. Mm -hmm. You know, they could help give her those words. They could encourage uh, the boy and girl to get together, come the boy come over for dinner and right. watch them together and do something together after dinner, maybe in the house. These are old-fashioned ways, but there are ways where I think parents could provide support in this area, plus conversations about how to say, I don't like that. It doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel degraded when you use that language and describe me in those terms. Yeah. You know, I think those are important things. And for boys to say, I want to feel sexy for you. I want to get you excited. I find you exciting. Right. You know, I think boys have to learn to say that more directly instead of sending a dick pic. You know, what a lot of boys say is they want to show that the dick pic shows how excited they are about the girl and that they are a sexy guy and will respond. Right. So that's what they're thinking. But girls don't see it that way. And they don't respond to it that way. So it's not very effective either. Exactly. Then we have the whole issue of girls sending out nude photos. Um, Yes. You know, they send them out often to boys uh, who are, they think, are their age. But many times, older boys receive those photos because Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I've seen is younger boys are often enlisted to get nude photos of girls then to then share with older boys. Mm -hmm. And in schools now, we have a lot of these almost sexual galleries of nude photos showing up, especially in high schools. Yeah. And uh, what to do about that. You may think you're sharing them with the 13-year-old boy. 
who you like and he's asking for them, but is it really going to a wider audience? And will it rebound in a very negative way in your middle school and high school? And I think those are very big problems for girls and boys today. It's really how you exchange this, how you communicate this, and how we educate our kids about sharing these types of photos. And I think along those lines is how how do we educate kids about sharing these types of photos is even maybe talking about some of the stuff that's going on in the current events. I mean, these things are in the news constantly about, you know, this young girl, this older guy, and really sitting down and talking to your teen about them and getting soliciting their ideas. What do you think about this? You know, what would you do if this were you? And being willing to listen instead of just thinking about this is what I need to tell my kid, really sit down and say, okay, what can they share with me? And that's also a chance for teens to show that they are learning how to risk assess. Mm -hmm. No, I think that conversations with parents and adults and younger people are really, really important because it's from my teens and the kids I work with that I learn so much that I really learn how they're thinking about these things and uh, that they miss these conversations because they often say in the office, this is the only time I've really ever talked about this stuff. Oh, yeah, I hear that all the time. (laughs) So whatever we're doing is really providing something that really isn't out there. I think other things that would help would be to have small groups in school Mm -hmm. of kids where they talked about it, Mm -hmm. where they talked about photo exchange. Uh, where they talked about risk around this. And parents are so adverse, I think, to uh, many types of sexual education that they're frightened off by this. But this is a kind of thing that I think would make a difference, you know, kind of social skills uh, groups around dating, romance, sexuality yeah. that really encourage kids to develop, you know, and exchange information about it. Um, with a a supervised person there. Right. And I think to recognize that really it needs to start early. I think by the time some parents come around to the idea, their daughters are, you know, sons are 15, 16. By then, your kids are already exposed to some of these things, and they've already been kind of having to navigate this area on their own. So starting even, you know, I we've advocated to start early, but even if you can't think about, you know, talking to your eight-year-old, at least around 12, really realize that this is going on. And if you're not talking about it with your kid, then they're getting information from somewhere else. I think with eight-year-olds in that eight to 12-year-old group, um, you can really bring up with them uh, that uh, words, definitions, use, you know, what is Snapchat? How is it used? What is a dick pic? Yeah. You know, and you can ask them. You don't have to use the word dick pic, but you can <laughs> right. ask, have you heard of kids at your school uh, sending you know, sharing pictures. pictures and nude pictures? Have yes. you heard anything about that? You'd be surprised, I oh, think, yeah. as an adult, how many kids have heard about it. And they're prepared going off to school. They're prepared for this to happen. They're thinking about it. So I think if you bring it up as an adult, it starts a conversation. So I think that's a very important thing. I think the other thing for adults to be aware of is that what we do role models. So if you are a a dad or mom and you're using a lot of pornography at home, your kids are attuned to that. They're picking it up. They look at your cell phone when you set it down. They know how to go on sites on your cell phone and they're quick 
with that type of stuff. So we have to be careful of the messages we send that are not just conversations, but really what we're doing because we're role modeling a lot of behavior. I think what we also role model too is, you know, just being on your phone all the time. That's something that I see is, you know, teens will say, well, my mom's on the phone all the time. Why can't I be on the phone? And so being able to set up rules around, you know, okay, maybe we can use our phones at home, but not at the dinner table, or there's a certain time when we don't have our phones. And parents need to follow along with these regulations as well to model that it's important. Yes, because I think if you have a parent who jumps up from the dinner table, and hopefully parents are having at least some conversational exchange at dinner, you know, and I recognize not everybody sits down at a dinner table, but maybe they have a conversation at night with their kids and they sit together for a while and they watch a TV program, something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's very, very important to do that without the third party of the cell phone ringing constantly and interrupting it. And it raises the question, why does the cell phone have precedence over the person who's right there, right in front of you, who you have a conversational opportunity with? Absolutely. I mean, this is, I guess, steering a little away from where we started. But what I see is a lot of teens, you know, they're talking about, you know, I was hanging out with my friend, but I really didn't feel like I was hanging out with them because they were constantly on Instagram or they were Snapchatting where we were. And so there's this pressure to kind of make your life look really fun and entertaining. But when you're there, you're not really there anymore. The other person isn't there with you. And you bring up, uh, you know, there's a small group of uh, kids that we see that have a very wide online presence. And parents are aware of that. They've encouraged these kids to develop this. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of the kids make money, you know, off of various brands because they advertise things. And this small group, I think, is is encouraged by parents and adults and it's really a a work or labor and you know childhood labor and it's important to think about that and the development of that because most kids see those sites and they feel like they should have something like that or they feel the pressure Mm -hmm. to have a more developed site so that's something parents need to educate themselves about are, I think, these online sites and the developed presence and to partner with their kids to review the sites that their their child has and their teen has and to start that early. I think that's what you were saying. If you start at 8 or 9 or 10, 11, mm-hmm. and you're looking, you're examining, you think about when your kid should go on Facebook, when are they ready for it, and you work together with them. It really is a partnership opportunity. Yeah, and I think part of that partnership is, you know, having rules and regulations. So for example, okay, I'll let you have an Instagram, but I need to be your friend. And while kids may balk at that, it's something parents need to enforce. And you can even say, you know, I have a life. I don't want to be looking at your Instagram photos all the time, but I do need to be able to look and see what you're posting. And at the very least, that has kids thinking about, well, you know, oh, if I post this, 
my parents are going to see it or they might see it. And that helps build in some of that risk assessment as well. Absolutely, Jennifer. So to kind of sum up, this remains a topic of great interest, not only for you and me, but I think for uh, the whole world at this point in time. And it's really an interface with the world and adolescents and teenagers. And uh, everyone should take a part in this conversation. So we thank you for listening today. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcasts at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.